Hello, welcome to yeah. episode 110 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined not by Courtney, who's over in Canada um, for the show. So I'm all alone here in Germany, kind of, but I've got all sorts of people together to talk to me here and fill up this show. Later in the show, we'll be talking uh, to some of the ATP folks who are behind the new website, including George Ziz, who's the sort of executive vice president in charge of the whole website. Uh, enterprise and project and all of that, and also to ATP Executive Chairman and President Chris Kermode, so that'll be fun and flashy and ATP-full. But first, we're going to be here with, I don't even know the word, German word for friend, Freund? Freund. Freund. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> I might be wrong. Uh, Nick McCarville. Hi, Nick McCarville. I'm trying to do my best. Hello, Ben. Of Courtney. She always tries to say, like, tries to bring it down a notch so. after I, after I, like, yeah, do that. She's always, like, too cool for, too cool for intros. But I feel like you are ready to embrace this experience with unbridled enthusiasm. Yeah. Well, I'm doing my, I will do my best to be a, a Courtney Nguyen fill-in. Okay. Um, I don't have sweatpants on and I'm not wearing a cool t-shirt, which I imagine her <laughs> doing all the podcast with. <laughs> Um, but I'm here and I'm ready. If you were having a t-shirt that said what you think of Hala so far, because you are with me and Hala were the two uh, main American traveling journalists who are here, yeah. what would your Hala t-shirt say? Hala! That's pretty, that was pretty obvious. <laughs> Come on now. That was but with like obvious. H-O, five or six L's? Hey. I guess so. It's a lot of L's. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, so I want to talk to you about, do more of a guest spot interview, guest co-host thing with you. When we have people on the show, we usually talk about, like, oh, this is so-and-so, and they do this in tennis, and it's, this is what their life yeah, is like yeah. and how they see the sport from their angle. And Nick McCarville, you guys, does everything. Like, you <laughs> do so not, much stuff. It's not quite true. You do so I, much stuff. Yeah, the hats are a mini. You have many I've, hats. Actually, I did a conference call today for Cincinnati talking about social media there, and it was like, introduce yourself and what do you do? I didn't really know what to say. <laughs> you do everything. And then I end up sounding kind of like I don't know anything because I stumble over myself and they're like, okay, next person, can you intro you, yourself? Do you have more hats <laughs> or pairs of glasses with you on this trip? Uh, How many pairs of glasses do you have you again? You know, I only have one hat. It's my travel day hat. Okay. And I have five <laughs> pairs of glasses. So let's talk metaphorical hats. Let's talk like, about your tennis sort of origins and all the different things you've had to wear on your head. Yeah. First... Let's just start at the beginning. You were an elite Montanan tennis player. <laughs> elite. One of the best in all of Montana, which is, if you look at a map, enormous. It's a big state. I actually won't refute that. I was an elite tennis player in Montana. <laughs> no, I was, I was not trying to be State runner-up in 2003. Yeah? Yeah. That's pretty good. That was, that was it. You're much better at tennis than me or Courtney, <laughs> that's for sure. So you're bringing some credibility to that. We played once. Yeah, we did play in once Charleston. in Charleston and Courtney. I feel like I was surprised at how I didn't get completely killed. I feel like I won games. You clay plural. junked. You clay junked me really well. You're, and Courtney Nguyen was chair umpire. She was not a very attentive chair umpire. <laughs> no. I gotta say, she didn't check any marks. She was not getting out of that chair. No, she wasn't. <laughs> no. Which but I respected. I totally respect. That's that's totally fine. So after your Montana tennis career, let's walk through step by step. What was your first intro into the professional? tennis world obviously not as a player but, yeah I, uh, I interned yeah. at tennis magazine in 2007 mm-hmm. uh when i was a ju- between my junior and senior year of college and uh at seattle seattle university good jesuit institution i uh-huh, love a jesh and love a jesh. and i um I, I started kind of getting into writing when i was in high school uh-huh. and the dream suddenly became like i want to combine tennis and writing into one was that an easy combination for you because i took that i, I wasn't obvious to me even though I like both of them yeah, too. yeah yeah it took you a little because you didn't even major in journalism nope. did you nope. yeah yeah I pretty much knew I can remember being like a sophomore junior in high school and watching tennis tournaments and I was like I want to be at those tournaments writing about them oh that's one day. cool yeah. look at you and now you're here now like Kampala. can we do some weird intro music of some sort this is a montage a training montage okay what music do you want <laughs> Uh, something Disney-esque. Disney. I'll leave that up to you. Like, I'll make a tennis journalist out of you, move on type thing, you mean? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 
That was the song Mallory Burdett picked. Was it? Yeah, she's no longer with us. And in the tennis sense, not she's alive, <laughs> yeah. but she's no longer. She was the one player. We have had some bad luck with players doing interviews. We had a stretch where we did players okay. who just didn't kind of disappear. Well, I'm going to knock on this wooden hollow table and yeah. hope that that's not my. No, 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 no. What's no. Happening okay, so you did that internship and then. Yeah, you know, I'm, I moved to New York right after I graduated college in 2008, and I thought that I was going to be a tennis journalist somehow magically right out the gates and that did not happen it's not magic no there was no magic happening but i will say in 2009 the uh, times launched their straight sets blog which is a lot of how you got started with them too and i remember cold calling seven eight phone numbers at the times trying to find someone who knew something about the blog and finally i got through and started i wrote my first my first story for them was on Steffi Graf turning 40 oh, back in 2009. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Um, and it was like still innovative at that point to embed uh, YouTube clips into a blog post. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember I remember because I was doing that, like embedding for me, I guess, was something that came, was not that different. Or what, wasn't that, I sort of arrived sure. with the embedding. And so when, like three years after it was common, I remember someone bragging about their article being like, and I embedded like several YouTube videos to make sure it a whole different <laughs> experience. And I was like, okay. Way back when. <laughs> but I will say too, I... Um, but that, the embedding that was, is great though. I'm sure it was yeah. very innovative. Well, and in that time, I was working a lot with Erwin Ong, who yeah, is... Yeah, you were a tennis like, yeah. fresh. I mean, that's so, where I first heard of you, I think, was when you're on Tennis Surf Fresh. Yeah, I mean, that was Irwin's baby. I, I will yeah. never take that baby away. That was away, an amazing baby. That was like a really early, really well-dressed baby in, <laughs> in the tennis blog. It was a fashionable baby. It was a baby, tennis fashion is... blog. For, it was now defunct. Yeah. But it had a lot... It was one of the most frequently updating. It had this, its own unique voice and niche yeah. coverage tennis. And yeah, it was one of the archetype... I'm not sure it spawned anything else directly, but it was one of the first, like, tennis blogs out there. Well, I think it was a... Uh, for me, it was a great teacher because, you know, I would do player interviews and I'm like, I'm working for this blog and people kind of look at me strange like, what What are you doing? But, What's that blog? Hey, what? But this, I mean, that was 2007, 8, 9 before like Twitter was really yeah. a, a big thing. And I think it offered some of that, like we did some snide, snarky stuff and um, it was it was really a fun way to get introduced to the industry. And while I was like schlepping away at coffee shop jobs, in New York, I slowly sort of realized, like, okay, you need to be a little more professional in your approach and how you sort of try and, quote-unquote, make it in tennis journalism. So let's talk about, obviously, the writing stuff is time. What were the first sort of, like, non-writing-y? What were some of the first non-writery hats you tried on in the sport? Yeah. What, was there a point where you were like, oh, I have to try on this hat? Okay. Well, I mean, how will I... this fit? Yeah. Oh, man, so many hats. Uh, I tried on a Tallahassee hat a couple years ago. Okay. I worked for the USTA as a, a press aide, which was... Was the um, first non-writing thing you did? I'm trying to think of that. Well, the video he... stuff that I've done with Indian Wells, yeah. that was that was a couple years ago, and Matt Van Tynan, who runs the media center there, and he's kind of my boss, Yeah. when I go and work at the BNP Paribas Open, he was just like, let's put you in front of the camera. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, because you, you hosted like those videos that Indie Wells is kind of makes really done really well. Yeah, we're like just, out on that deck during WTL Access Hour yep. and stuff, and you guys get those videos with the balloon popping and with the uh, you know quizzes Quiz, about like yeah, who yeah. is this as a baby or that was you yeah, guys right, was and us. then you know like yeah child artwork stuff, and so yeah, how was that switching to in front of camera? Yeah, I mean I th- I think for me it's been a lot of like figuring out what works, and it's a, a lot by the seat of my pants, but. Watching and observing other people has taught me a lot, yeah. especially in this industry, and and thinking ahead too. Like, okay, I'm going to be in front of the camera. Like, I should take my credential off. Like, Ben <laughs> and I are both wearing these very attractive Hala credentials that I'm right now showing to our recording device. <laughs> and yeah, and your name no is totally spelled correctly, <laughs> and your face is totally in focus. Both of those are not truths. Yeah, um, but. But it's sort of knowing that, like, oh, when I'm in front of the camera, I take off my credential, and I probably take off my glasses, and I'm blind, but there's no reflection on the camera, that kind of stuff. And knowing, you know, speaking more slowly to the players and making them feel comfortable before we start rolling, like, hey, Vika. slow talking thing, I don't do that. Yeah. Well, and for camera, like, the players, what we always try to do at Indian Wells is make them feel, A, that they're comfortable, and B, like, we just want them to have fun, because... Videos in the social media world that we live in, like, they have to be fun, and the players have to give you something that they're not going to give there, elsewhere. There has not yet been yeah, a dark exactly. 
like a dark, <laughs> moody Indie Wells Alexis video. I, I'm waiting for there it. Could, well, I'm waiting for all it. All right, let's do I'm waiting for let's it. Let's do it next So year. with the top eight, we're playing the Hunger Games. Who would you kill first? <laughs> and with what from your tennis bag? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would use my scrunchie, and I would take out, you know, so-and-so. That would be pretty fun. Uh, I will pitch that yeah. when we have our meeting in January. <laughs> you're welcome, Van Tine, and you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but so, okay, so I just I guess sort of just sort of being on the other side of the fence from that, because when yeah. you are in New Wells, you, you're mean like physically your desk is in like the first section with the tournament people. Yep. You're running the tournament Twitter account and doing yep. social media for them. Yep. Like what do you it has to be a big help, like for or give you a lot of perspective, mm-hmm. switching gears and being on one side of journalist. the operation the yeah. other. Being a journalist versus being a promoter, because you've also done that for all sorts of other tournaments yeah. and stuff too, and other little things along the way yeah, yeah. as well. So what is that how is that different? Yeah, no, I mean it's all super different and I think that's I kind of check my hat when I walk into a room and know, okay, this is my role. And, you know, when you're working for a tournament, everything is very much sort of by the book of that tournament and what they want and how to promote it. And I'm still all about stories and telling stories and having fun with the players. And, I mean, you're so good at the stuff you do with the times of, like, finding, like, the weird trinket stuff that goes on. love a trinket. Yeah. I mean, there are some priceless trinkets (laughs) out on tour. And that is, I sort of see that uh, with different colored glasses on. I'm just using all sorts of different <laughs> I know. analogies. And with your eyewear, with too, fashion, especially yeah, hats, and glasses. Eyewear. He has a lot going on in his head. I do Nick use McArvel. some different hair, hair gels. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess what people obviously have a lot of um, people see term and Twitter accounts, there's a different one because of how yeah. tennis is constantly moving. Yeah, there's a different totally. one pretty much every single week. Um, people have a lot of strong opinions about what makes a good one, what makes a bad yep. one. So in your expert, I would use that word seriously, opinion on yeah. tennis, social media, what makes for the best tournament presence? And what, and also, what are tournaments trying to get out of social media? Yeah, well... Because it's, those are different, different, different tournaments have oh, very different yeah. ideas about well, what Well, you and I were actually talking is. about this, yeah. is that there's not a lot of value in social media for tournaments. I mean, not that's, that's hard to say, I think, for, especially to an audience that I know on your podcast is very plugged into social media. Yeah. But if you look at ticket sales and that kind of stuff and, you know, awareness of, of a tournament from a local, you know, look at an organizer and how are we going to get tickets out, social media isn't necessarily on the top of that list. It's usually going to fall middle bottom. And so for us, I mean, from, from my perspective, a good social media account is giving you the nuts and bolts. You want tennis. You want tennis coverage, scores, Updates as much tennis content as can be. Yeah. And then from there on out, it's gravy, as far as I'm concerned. Like, good content. I mean, we're talking about Indian Wells doing cool videos. I always like to do behind-the-scenes photos, whether they're at press conferences, in the tunnel, when people are... I mean, we started doing in Sydney a few years ago. I was running the Twitter for the APA International Sydney. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I remember taking... This is, like, three years ago. I remember taking video of walk-ons... And it still wasn't a point where there was, like, Vine or anything. So I'd get, like, Tomic walking on in the tunnel, and then I would go quickly and upload it to YouTube. Yeah. Very archaic, right? <laughs> that, is, that is slow. <laughs> what, are you, what are your favorite things to do? Do you have, like, a favorite social media, I don't know what to say platform, but, like, what, is, what do you think is the most effective? Twitter, Vine, Facebook, YouTube? I think they all, yeah. they all work. I mean, people, you know, utilize... I think Facebook is... Facebook numbers Instagram, are always highest. Instagram also yeah, Facebook numbers are always highest. Twitter, um, I think, is the place where people go for their news. Facebook is a little more of, like, the storylines and the beauty of it. Instagram is, like, you know, curating this sort of, like, museum of what you want your tournament to look like and feel like. I love, I love, I have no photographic skill whatsoever, but I love running an Instagram when you have, like, a professional photographer shooting for yeah. the tournament. Because you guys, like, in, in Indie Wells especially, we you guys curate. have, like, you have a lot of great photographers. Yeah. You have Billy Wise especially. So yep. you, got, you guys get this, like, and I, and I think in Australia, it wasn't you who was doing it, but it was, I was with Not Lee Walsh, yeah, who Lee was Walsh. working on social in Australia, and sitting next to her during, I want to say, yeah. the, some, like, quarterfinal or something. Uh-huh. Um, there were flags. I don't remember what match it was. It was, like, who was Australian? It was Curios Murray. We're playing in the quarterfinals. Quarter yeah. yeah, so she was sitting there, and she had this like live feed of all the photos from the different photographers who were coming in, and they were amazing. Yeah, and so that was pretty cool to see that like behind the scenes. Yeah, well, and I'll say like a Billy, you know, Billy Weiss and his photography skills are sky high, and then someone like David Rosenberg, oh, who's yeah. a good friend, he's a photo editor, been around tennis forever, and the ability for them to push through great stuff, and then I'll take it to Instagram. 
give it a couple emojis, <laughs> give it a quippy uh, caption, and we're flying, baby, on the Insta. What would you say, briefly, are like the absolute do nots of running a tournament social media? Like, what can you not do? And we saw this, I guess, a little bit. We saw a misstep in tournament, not social media, but yeah, website with the big Garros. one at Roland Garros with the Stan Wawrinka uh, article that yep. he was not happy with, but then he won the tournament, so maybe it was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> I don't know. He's now unbeatable. Um, after being sort of slimed. Thrown down. Yeah, after being blindsided by that. Anyway, so what are the things you cannot do? Yeah, I mean, that's they, a good, yeah. it, it differs at different tournaments, but I think, I think it's always you have to know that you're speaking from the tournament and that, yes, you want as much sort of personality and character and um, you want your handle and stream to feel alive, but you also have to remember that this is coming from the tournament handle and so it has to be fairly corporate in its own way yeah it does and I would say like Indian Wells and I've done the Charleston Twitter the last three years now um, during the tournament they really everyone in this space wants to be fun creative conversational this is a great place to be I mean tennis there's a lot to have fun with and I think it's just knowing like if I ever doubt that something is going to get taken down later by a boss or a boss's boss that's what you. That's what you don't put out. Right. Or yeah. the things like better safe than sorry for sure. You don't want to be something like no. Like even in a situation like that gagging noise you hear is you know Lara Ruberena who just showed <laughs> a five zero lead on Althea Gibson yeah, court. Yeah, that's a Ben Rothenberg tweet that is yeah. going to get lots um, of interaction. That's not a tournament tweet. Right. It exactly. And so that's something that I haven't. Totally. Luckily for me, I have had to develop less filter than you, which I <laughs> yeah. think fits me well because right. I'm just a stream of garbage. Yeah. Of beautiful garbage. <laughs> it's I, I have the beholder garbage. Well, and so, I think I think too, like yeah. knowing, never being reactionary. I mean, there's been stuff on social media that has made me really angry and frustrated with fans and with people watching and tuning in and not understanding all of the different requirements of a tournament or TV rights or scheduling or whatever, and never reacting to that. Knee jerk. Yeah, it's well, always. You, you, you guys get a lot of vitriol. You guys get oh, a lot totally. of mention of the tournaments, and the people are like, "Why the fuck is Rodianova doubles on court six yeah. not being streamed?" You assholes. <laughs> that I've that's a tweet I've never seen, no. but um, it it could have been out there and I missed it. Yeah, yeah but there's a lot of um, anger and frustration directed at the tournaments, and I will say this. All of that stuff is thought of, and it goes through the channels. People are listening. The, yeah, yeah, people are listening, and I, I mean, when I'm on a tournament Twitter, and I would, you know, Lee Walsh would say that Charlotte James does Australian Open, she does an amazing job. All of the organizations, they're listening, watching, and it, the hope is, is that there's always a great product delivered to the fan. Like, that's, the, that's what we want, right? Yeah. Is for a great product for the fans. The so. other thing, this, the other fairly <clears throat> different hat that you've done was in Miami this year, and you've done a little of, of US elsewhere at US Open, too, yeah. on court 17. But in U, uh, Miami this year, for the grandstand, you were doing on-court interviews post-match. Yeah. Um, as sort of a baby Andrew Krasny out there. <laughs> hey, Kras. Hey, Kras. <laughs> um, you, what was that like? being out there that's a whole different challenge trying to like be the MC sort of of the interview and having to interview like this match's winner Mikhail Kakushkin your thoughts for the crowd out here which is paying attention to what you're not, saying not, they're not paying attention I mean that's the challenge of it especially when it's going to the world feed or when you have a camera in your face that's yeah. your focus and if the audience can hear you great I mean that's always what I know Krasny would say you always want to make sure that the house is tuned in and that people are listening to you but um, that was, I did the U.S. Open last year and then Miami on Grandstand this year, and it really was sort of a lesson in how to be succinct and how, as I said earlier, think ahead, right? Like, okay, this is going to happen. If Venus wins, I'm going to ask her X, Y, and Z. I'm going to make sure that my questions are succinct. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that she's facing as many people in the crowd as possible. I'm going to make sure that the light is on her. That, you know, it's all these different things Lighting, that you're running wow. through. Yeah, well... It's you're being your own stage manager, and like Krasny or a lot of the you know anyone who does it on TV, say like um, a Mary Jo Fernandez or anyone on Tennis Channel, they're usually going to have like a stage production person there, sort of managing all of it. But I kind of had to do all that myself. I'm holding the sharpie and I'm like grabbing a ball kid, like hey three balls, and they're always looking at me like what what what's going on? And you'd get some ball kids who are like know what you want, and it's it's kind of a fun rush. And for me the the difference of telling a story, whether it be social media or as a journalist writing, is way different than like standing in front of several thousand people trying to interview 
Tommy Robredo. No. And, you know, walking out there and being like, hey, Kay Nishikori, like, off microphone, me holding it to my hip, being like, Kay, speak as loudly as possible, and I'm going to ask you about Nick Boletari and what you love oh, to you train. Oh, you them previews. Well, on. sometimes. Okay. I mean, because you know that you know that this is something that they know how to do, but making them, as I said, feel as comfortable as possible. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go There's out no there. There's no gotcha encore interviews. No, there, uh, sometimes in Australia there are. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Channel 7 loves a gotcha. They, they do love that. But, um, no. from yeah, and, and twirling and, you yeah. know, the yeah. like. Also, but, they're different. But I think you get better content when the player feels empowered and the player feels like that they're in a comfortable, safe space. Best and worst moments of encore interviewing for you? Ooh, um, I mean, I got Venus to dance last year and grandstand, which was pretty cool. Uh, In Miami, you mean? Yeah, in Petco. Yeah, did I say that? Miami? You said last year, so I was yeah. a little confused. Oh, yeah. This Earlier year. this year. Uh-huh. That's true. Okay. JJ, JJ was JJ yeah. at the U.S. Open last year. Probably worst was, and I won't name names, but there were a couple times where um, players, like, refuted me on mic. And, like, not necessarily things that I even got wrong, just, like, disagreeing with me. And that doesn't feel good. Like, you want to, I want to feel like I'm doing a good job. And, of course, I'm going to get things... I'm not going to necessarily speak as fluidly as possible sometimes. Um, you know, you live, you learn. But, like, basically things saying, like, well, you know, you had a break in the second set or and then you were playing better or something, and they just something like that that's innocuous? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Or, like, a minor detail, like, oh, this happened, and they're like, yeah. well, the, and not even a truth or a not truth, just kind of a correction, or it's like, oh, okay. But those are the things that I've learned, and I think Andrew Krasny, when you do have him as your star of one show down the road, like he would say that too, you have to, that you react to that, and then you move on, and that's it. We'll get Krasny at some point. Krasny's been, we've been trying. He's so busy. He's just so busy. (laughs) So busy, you guys. Um, And so, any other job besides the... And journalist, and journalist. Yeah. yeah, so let's see all about this now. So now this year you've been doing more and more for USA Today. I have, yeah. Um, doing the Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon coming up. You're here in Halle doing Halle. stuff for them. And Rome before that also. So we've been, we're the two American journalists staying over yeah. for this whole nine-week stretch this year. So it's been great having you along Hey-o. for the ride. Um, I was the one who talked you into coming to Halle, I feel yeah, like. so. Uh, we've had many a late meal. Daca. I guess, or you're welcome. I don't know how to say that. Uh, bitte. I don't. That means please. Anyway, it doesn't work. My German, That's what they say after Dunk. My bitte. German humor is not great. But so, what has it been like now being immersed on that side, especially doing which I don't do because um, I usually have. I've never been alone at a Slam for the New York Times except for a couple of days where sure. it's happened. Having to cover like an entire Grand Slam and plan all that out by yourself. Yeah, yeah. How is that experience for you? Well, I have great editors at USA Today that I work with, and um, I. It's kind of a double-edged sword of we want to have a a great piece for print every day that is kind of going to be a standout um, feature that we use. And then we have, I mean, in Australia, I wrote 82 articles. I haven't counted. That number is insane. Well, and that piece goes goes into, we do a lot of reactionary stuff. You do quick hit stuff. Yeah, like three, four, five hundred words. You know, Federer loses to Seppi in Australia. We had that up in five minutes. It's on our mobile app. We have a sports app now for USA Today Sports. And plug, plug. Yeah, plug, Very plug, good. plug. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's been... I've actually had an amazing time doing it. I've actually learned a ton from someone like you or a Courtney or just watching sort of and observing how real, true journalists work that haven't had to wear lots of hats. Because <laughs> I've kind of gone into these patterns of, like, okay, I'm working for a tournament, I can't do this. Or, like, you know, I, I'm only covering this part of this. And so finding those storylines doing stuff for print that I know is going to sort of last maybe a day or two. And then also, like, we do three or four articles a day that live on the website that I want several sources for. I mean, it's really figuring out, like, okay, if I go talk to Mary Carrillo for 20 minutes, I'm going to ask her about four or five different articles. Because Time management, yeah. yeah exactly. You got to make the most of, you yeah. can't just go chasing somebody down and spend half an hour getting no. one quote. Well, you can't. Sometimes I can do that more because I don't. I generally have a little bit more time to operate for my stories. I don't do 82 in a slam. I barely write 82 paragraphs in a slam. Um, yeah. <laughs> Untrue. That's not. Well, I don't you know. You wrote actually. 81 on Tamiya Baczynski. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Um, I'm curious. Like, I talked about it as a conflict of interest being an issue. Totally. And so for you, yeah. with all your different hats, how conscious are you yes. of that and, and trying to weave that? And you, we, talked, we obviously talked about this before. And in terms of what 
you know, that's becoming more and more of a thing. It's more yep. and more people in tennis yep. find that the hats they're given are smaller and smaller, and they need more and more to cover their head yep. and give them shelter in life. <laughs> this hat analogy is living. <laughs> um, yeah, I am I'm, uh, as, I think, aware of that as anything else that I do. And knowing that when I'm here as a journalist working for X, Y, and Z, that that's what I'm doing. And if there's ever something where I feel like, okay, I need to talk to so-and-so person, I make it very clear what I'm after and what I'm doing and who I'm working for. Because there's a lot of players who, I mean, I'll, I'll see a few players that might recognize me and say, like, what are you doing here? Or, like, who are you? Or when I was in Miami, Petco was like, hey, because she was on my court. And I interviewed her, and she was like, why are you on court? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm doing this too. <laughs> talk to me. <laughs> but I... I'm very aware of that. And, yeah, I mean, I think that some conflicts of interest are unavoidable sort of in the digital place that we live in. Tennis is a... I mean, I do work in figure skating, too, and it's such a small niche, but that's kind of the nature of the beast at this point, and I do as good a job as I can. I'm sure there are some things that if I were an independent, you know, like, I feel like you have such free reign on what you do, which is awesome for the Times and for Slate. And it's limiting, Guardian. though, because I mean, yeah. the there are so many things that I have to turn down. That you don't that you That's haven't true. turned out. You mean like yeah, so I can like write a program article for the US Open because yeah. the USTA pays me for yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and I, I I kind of try to do the best that I can with that and also know that when I those scenarios arise that I have to sort of like check myself on or push my like, okay, you need to ask this question or like so and so I mean, at the French Open, a lot of what people either read or saw from like the Azarenka press conference was literally me and Ben handing the microphone back and forth to each other and asking some pretty uncomfortable questions and asking after she lost the set yeah, to ask, Serena to Serena and like asking her like well why didn't you bring the referee out on court and that kind of stuff you know which led her to talk about yeah no video. I, I gotta say yeah I don't think you've been I wouldn't know from seeing you in this hat of USA Today <laughs> reporter that you would you had been yeah that you were, I don't think like you're holding me back. I no. really don't. So no, I don't think anyone could say that from reading your stuff either. I would hope. Um, yeah. So I think you're managing the hats well. Trying, yeah. trying. But it's a whole lot of hats, and we <laughs> and a tip of the cap to you oh for joining God. us uh, on this on this program. Do you have a for your little segment here? Do you have an outro song? We let our guests pick our out their outro. Well, I, I mean, so. you really wanted me to do Nick McCarville from the Block. <laughs> I'm still I'm still Nick McCarville from the Block. From Montana, actually. From Montana. There's other blocks in Montana or just <laughs> vast expanses of land? You have to come to Montana at some point. There are blocks. There City are blocks. I actually live in a downtown. My house is downtown. Helena. Downtown Helena. Yeah. Historic like Hala? district. Holla. Um, what's my outro? Dang. 99 Luft Balloons? No. Can we... Let's clear the air, everyone. I don't know who Nana is. Nina? Don't even want to say her name. Ben is ashamed right now. Anyway, it just, I just feel like that song is ingrained in the psyche of the world, but oh apparently it's not. But I'm not gonna not gonna force that on you because we already used that as an after song for episode 99. Um, so, do you have any any any? What's in, is there a Nick McCarville? I'm digging. I'm digging anything Betty Who. Betty Who. Do you have a particular track? Cause I'll have to pull this up, and I don't know my um, Betty Who. Runaways. Okay, we'll do that. No, no, no. Sorry. Glory Days. Glory Days. My outro song is Betty Who, Glory Days. She's the British Katy Perry, and she's awesome. What makes it, what is the British Katy Perry? Like, she takes breaks for tea and... Yeah, she is, like, smarter and cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Just like all British people compared to Americans. Compared to Katy Perry. Compared to Katy Perry. I mean, Perry. I love Katy Perry, but Betty Who is... I don't love Katy Perry, so I'm ready for a better version of her. These are the glory days. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, Ben. Had a blast? Had a blast. Thank you very much, Nick. Next up on the show, we are going to talk to a couple of people in the ATP hierarchy who were involved in the new website launch, which made a lot of splashy ripples on tennis Twitter and tennis consciousness this uh, week and the weekend as it's been rolled out and with some glitches, but overall a 
really pretty bold and large-scale new take on it. So we're going to talk to George Sizz, who's an executive vice president for ATP, who has sort of spearheaded the whole thing. And then we're going to talk to Chris Kermode about the website and some other issues that he is facing in his presidency with the ATP World Tour. So we're joined here by George Sizz, who's one of the brains behind the new ATP website, the new look of it, which has been launching in the last few days and getting a lot of buzz around the tennis world. Uh, George, guess can you sort of explain your role at the ATP and what you have been doing to get this new website up and running? Okay, so I'm the senior vice president of marketing and business development and my focus is really uh, the traditional marketing, really focusing on on uh, producing the right creative materials uh, for the ATP, things such as the Be the, Be the One campaign overseeing all of our advertising, branding activities, but also work very closely with my counterpart, Murray Schwartzberg, who is the Senior Vice President of, uh, of Information Technology and Digital Media. And with him, we work hand in hand on managing our digital media assets, where Murray looks after basically all the technology behind the side. I look, I look after with my team uh, for all the content, marketing. So what would you say, I guess, was the sort of vision behind the new website? Was there one particular thing that you wanted to do to make it look different? Because it seems like there's a, a much more strong visual impact, I guess, of this new website with the bright graphics, the huge flags, the full body shots on the profiles and everything like that. Was there was there one particular thing that motivated you or one thing you wanted to accomplish in, in deciding this new look? Yes. Um, well, there was a number of number of things uh, behind them. I'll get to all of them. But to really answer your question, what was the one thing that for us was most important about all was to deliver the best possible experience for fans. You know, we really um, when we looked at this, we we've done a lot of research. We looked at everything that was going six months developing just a strategy behind it. We we're looking what all other websites were doing, and what we wanted to deliver is uh, uh, for ATP a world class digital experience. Uh, making sure that the fan that the website is fan fan friendly, uh, easy for easy for them to navigate. It's it provides the richness of information. We wanted to deliver the site that allows fans to spend more time with the ATP. Look, uh, make it easy for them to find. Uh, make it also very easy to to use. Uh, one of the problem with our previous platform, which has now been seven years old or so, was that it didn't perform as well as we would like it to perform on the mobile devices. And since we're seeing a tremendous growth in the in the mobile, uh, we wanted to make sure the site works really well for fans and mobile. So uh, we deliver the responsive design, meaning the the site performs uh, delivers all the content that you can see on desktop, you can see on, on tablet as well as on mobile. So those were sort of some of our big thing big things. But we also wanted to deliver deliver as you mentioned, Ben, the the impactful imagery. You know, it was really big for us because we think that when you watch tennis, it provides just phenomenal visuals. When you see Rafa or Roger or any of the players, Nick Kyrgios, these amazing visuals that we have, we want to make sure that the fans can really enjoy them in a real impactful ways. We, on our website during the year, we use up to about 20,000 plus images. So we want to make sure that we have a great platform to bring them forward. Equally the same way with, uh, with a video. You know, we have, we have days when we add 10, 15 videos per day. And we wanted to make sure that we have a platform that allows fans to view these videos on all of their devices and they can comment, share them and do all the, all the things that they want to do. So those was those were some of the, the key, key thing. And then lastly, you know, one of the things that we felt that we have not delivering as well before was to provide a lot more information and statistics um, for, for the fans. So uh, we really put a lot of focus. We created a new new score center, stat center, uh, and allowing fans really to dig deep and find a lot at their fingertips lots of interesting information. So when you start playing around with the filters, you are able to really search the match facts to the really, really, truly granular level. And our real deep hardcore fans will really find, uh, I think, a lot of enjoyment out of that. I guess, what was the motivation on the statistical part particularly? What was the thinking behind, I guess, not having released some of that stuff earlier and also deciding now that it was time to, I guess, open up your, your database a little bit more? Oh, it wasn't It wasn't that we, we didn't want to we hold the stuff back. We just didn't have the technology. So when you look at the site, we didn't have the back end, you know? So um, you, it, we didn't only just fix it and make it look really pretty behind, but it was complete revamp of the back end that allowed the, the stats to flow in. And, and 
to be fair, they, we're still working on it. There will be more and more coming of this. Uh, we do want to enhance it uh, even further. So uh, uh, we want to look at further features such as data visualizations, etc. Uh, we already have some pretty fun uh, fun items out there when you log into the to the uh, stat center. So uh, we want to bring even further more of this kind of stuff. And hopefully, as we as we work um, throughout the season and we start really utilizing it into our stories and bringing it together, it will it will, it will really paint a much better picture for the fans. How how much do you look at uh, what other sports are doing in terms of keeping up with the rest of the sporting world. And I guess how much is that important to ATP to be constantly moving the ball forward in the same way when, you know, something like NFL or Premier League makes a big design innovation that tennis isn't left behind with that? Or how much, also, on the other hand, do you try to just come up with your new own original ideas? How much do you balance looking at what others are doing and trying to be creative completely on your own? Sure. So, I mean, it's really interesting. There was a tremendous amount of change that went on in the in the sports industry over the last two years. Um, when we started this project in, uh, I think it was back in December 2012, uh, when Murray and I first got together, um, we there was very few sites that were using these new platforms of responsive technology. The industry really sort of moved on to sort of the web 2.0, if you will, whatever you want to call it, the responsive design, etc., uh, big imagery. Um, so we really look at the, at the start, we were primarily looking at some of the sites like USA Today, et cetera, that are, that are really, really cool, well, well done, Mashable, et cetera. But um, over the last couple of years, there was a number of new sites that came through. You look at NASCARs, um, that, was a, that was definitely something we studied closely, PGA, now ESPN. You know, it's everybody else is, is constantly moving the bar. So um, then when you factor in, it takes a little bit of time to actually build these build these things then um, then uh, you know you really have to have to study what's happening because you can easily be left behind for us it is very important that we want to be right up there but we're also trying to deliver it in a way that works the best for tennis i think that every sport is a little bit different every sport has a little different uh, different um, elements that that come to life so we try to customize it we try to learn from everybody but we also try to make it uh, in a way that works best for our fans, it works best for the fans, for the players, the tournaments, and and the and the tour tour overall. So you know, we we'll, we definitely pay attention to to everyone and try to come up with uh, with something that optimizes all of our constraints, objectives, and uh, and hopefully um, the the result uh, at the moment seems to seems to seems to deliver what we try to do. One uh, one issue from fans with regard to ATP that I guess came up in the spring, I guess, with some feedback about fans who are making GIFs and Vines and other things online getting cease and desist notices and copyright violation infringements uh, when they did mm -hmm. that from, I guess, a third-party legal team associated with ATP. I'm just wondering, I guess, as sort of the content provider from ATP on the official end, like what, how you guys look at those sort of more independent or grassroots or whatever word you want to call for it, the fan gifts, the fans and stuff like that, which can go viral and create enthusiasm, but also are using, as the, you know, complaint said from them, you know, your copyrighted material as their sort of original source. And how do you guys benefit, uh, balance, I guess, the benefit of that and your need to protect what you do? How do you try to, yeah, make the most of that? That's a no, tricky it's a, issue. It's a, it's a tricky issue. And, and I think if you, if you, you know this even, even probably better than I do because you're so, so close to other sports as well. It's not something that the ATP, um, uh, is wrestling with at the moment. Um, the emergence of technology is really um, challenging a lot of rules and, and things are changing over time and and rights holders and broadcasters are constantly trying to adjust to it. You know, I'm, you, you're actually speaking to one guy who, who, who loves this kinds of stuff because I'm a marketing person responsible for generating the bus for a sport and everything that can generate a bus, I'm absolutely more than welcome. But on the other side of the equation, we, we are also a, an organization that, that uh, um, has some commercial requirements. Um, we, have, uh, we, we have an intellectual property rights issues with, uh, with our broadcasters, and we, we have to balance that because the broadcasters are, are paying significant amounts of uh, money for, for their rights. And um, there, were, there were a few instances where, where they, they get a little bit, little bit scared. So if people are using certain things in the right way, where it's just for fun, excitement, a little thing, that's okay. But when people start using um, these new, new platforms such as uh, Periscope and Mirkar, whatever it might be, and start streaming the, the entire portion of the matches, then it become, becomes the issue. And 
And, and so I think where we are at the moment as a sport is we are in the, in the, in the process of uh, adjusting to these new technologies, figuring out and working through it. You know, it's sort of, um, it's very easy for people to get excited about certain issues and stuff, but, you know, from, from the side of the ATP, all we want to, to do is to optimize things. We want to optimize um, the situation in a way that works the best possible for fans so they can have fun, they can engage with each other, they can comment, share, do all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, do it in a way that doesn't necessarily hurt our, our broadcast partners. So it's a it's a process that will take a little bit of time to fix. It's not something that uh, that's not there is no magic wand that happens over time. But uh, as we as people get used to it, as people develop their strategies around that, I think I think uh, we'll find the so- solution long term that will that will make everyone happy. Well, thank you very much, George. This was awesome. Uh, any last thing people should look out for any other obviously this is a huge project that you're not done with yet but um anything else in the future people should look out for from atp and all the sort of different media branches you do because i know you're not just obviously a website only person yeah absolutely it's a it's um we have this is just the first step and i think when you speak with chris he will he will tell you the same it's uh it's one of one of our one of the first step in our in a, in a series of things that we're doing so very very shortly uh, we will be releasing the spanish version of the of the new site and later in the year will will come the come the chinese separately from this we're working on a very exciting project which you may remember last year in uh, in the barclays atp world to finals we have uh, we have la- launched a partnership with a with a new social media company out of california called bixlet Mm-hmm. And we are working with them on something that's uh, very, very exciting—a very completely new approach to uh, to uh, to social on uh, on on tennis and the ATP. And uh, there will be an app coming uh, very soon; um, it should be this summer. Um, and I think it should be a very, very cool, uh, cool new new uh, new product for the fans, which will also work very closely with the with the new site. So it will be a lot of sort of interactions between the between the between the two products uh we are in the sort of final stages of the development of this product and and, and i think it will be it will be really 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 exciting cool. and uh l- lastly maybe i would say is uh this week we were releasing uh as part of the one of the key things for us with the new side was the engagement so we'll have a new uh new trivia game uh on the website so uh, be sure to be sure to take a take advantage of it and uh, test your test your knowledge oh very cool thank you very much uh george i appreciate it and thanks for talking to us today no problem at all then very excited to be joined by chris kermode head of this atp ceo that's your title right ceo i should know that yeah executive chairman (laughs) executive chairman and president there we go so this is obviously the new website that came out has been a big project for atp what what have you been happiest with so far and how it's come out and what were you guys trying to accomplish what was the main main aim i think well the main the main aim for us is on everything and the website is part of this process but uh on everything is just taking a a good internal look at our uh, business our products how we can get information out to fans um and the website is obviously key key part of that and you know it's being you know moving with the times um, and the, the the main reason for uh, for sort of having this refresh on on the website was actually um, getting most of that look and feel of our our website onto the mobile, yeah. and you know you know the the stats of the mobile is uh, you know thirty percent of our traffic yeah. comes from mobile, and that's only increasing it's like an, almost a sixty percent year on year increase. Uh, on mobile, so yeah. the trend is it's coming on handheld devices, um, and we had a website that you know was was good on a you know on a, on a main computer and wasn't working uh, quite as well. So that's that's really the aim for that, um, and it's a good opportunity just to to adjust and, and see that we can make it more fan friendly. Um, but the key moving forward for me it will be now now we've got this infrastructure in place, which is hugely important. But it's about content and what content we put on there and actually to listening to fans to what content they want to see. So you, I talked to George about the website, so I got a bunch of technical insert details about mm-hmm. that too. In your time with ATP, is this one of the bigger undertakings I guess you've had? It seems like a, yes. a pretty big thing. So yeah. you, your tenure, you started January, January last year, last year yeah. so yeah. it's about 18 months now. Yep. Is this the biggest sort of mark of the Kermode 
administration so far in some ways, like we would say for a president, I guess? Yeah, I, mean, I think, it, well, it's just, you know, try, we, you know we've, we've taken time to, re, you know, as I said, to review our business. Yeah. Uh, and this is now where we're heading. Um, but it is about listening to people. It's about yeah. listening to players. It's about listening to prom- promoters. And it's about listening to fans. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, other growth areas, obviously TV and streaming video are a huge mm-hmm. part. WTA announced plans, I guess, to have all streaming courts by 2017. Mm-hmm. There's is their goal. Yeah. Um, ATP, what are your what are your plans on trying to? Because that's one of the terms of complaints yep. for fans. Like, oh, yep. why isn't FIA versus Latchko on court one, or whatever? Yep. Now streaming. How 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 big a priority is it's more universalizing? Huge streaming huge. for you. So so we're uh, we're heading towards that. Uh, you know, ourselves. That's a mission. Yeah. Um, and to get content out, but it's balancing the. Um, each domestic tournament's rights issues. I mean, that's the that's yeah. the balance. Um, so we need to be respectful of people who are, you know, paying significant money for their rights fees, um, but also making tennis as accessible as possible as well. Yeah. And so, yes, we're on that we're on that mission. So, in terms of doubles, also with that, because mm-hmm. I know that's been a particular focus, getting doubles streamed. There've been some Masters finals that yeah. haven't been streamed in the past. Uh, how much is doubles part of that so, equation? So, you know, from now, you know, we're we're heading where every Masters, um, you know, doubles final, you know, will be shown, um, and um, and we're heading to where you know as many courts as possible can be streamed. Yeah, because I think the Challenger streaming has been a big hit with people. Yeah, like, no, I was obviously a very dedicated level yeah. of tennis fan, but that's been yeah. But that's where it starts, and, cool. and you know, and the focus for. Uh, you know, for me, heading up the organisation is taking it in its entirety. So spending as much focus on you know the Masters, the 500s, the 250s, and the Challengers because they all have to work yeah. and they are all interconnected. Because yeah. if we don't have the Challenger system working well, that sort of talent funnel to go through, um, you know, long term, that's when you pay. So pay the price. We're at a 500 now, which was a 250 last week mm-hmm. or last year, all the time before that. And Queens obviously doing the same thing. Uh, what challenges of that and the new three week grass season? How has that been for ATP and how that's impacted the calendar? Obviously, expanding this part, but yep. shrinking yep. the American summer a bit. Yeah, no, it's been you know, whenever the well, the calendar's like a pack of cards. If, yeah. you, if you start moving bits and pieces, it has repercussions down the line. So it's a very it's a balancing act. The key for us is to have a, um, a, a tool that is truly global to keep that global proposition because it's rare. Yeah. Um, but to keep a variety of surfaces as well, and you know, so the importance for me to keep, you know, to sort of strengthen the grass court season was key, but also retain, you know, the clay court events, the hard court events, and the indoor events. Um, so I think it was important that transition for players um, to make that transition from sort of the sliding clay of, of Paris, yeah. on, on, you know, onto the you know the quicker grass courts and low, you know lower bouncing compared to clay. Players to adjust better, yeah. then the product is better, and then fans enjoy it more. And the, you know the demand for grass court tennis is huge. You can see it in every yeah. grass court event is packed. Um, so I, I think it's been a really successful. This is first year of it, but you know Stuttgart going to grass last week um, that seemed know, to be was, go really well. Was a yeah. really bold, ambitious move, um, and it's paid off. And there was a great feeling, you know, great atmosphere. Um, sort of increasing Queens and Heller up to 500 events. There's now you know more points on offer, so there's there's real status in these events. Um, and you see that you know the the jewels at both events are, are incredible. Next year for the Olympics, have your first Olympics in your tenure and calendar wise. I think it got slotted between Cincinnati and Can- Canada, Canada and Cincinnati. Yeah. So that's obviously a tough mm-hmm. triple week there, mm-hmm. going between continents and everything. How tough is the Olympics when that comes in with this new shrunken hardcore yeah, season we it's, have? Uh, that's a it, tough it's, one. It, it is really tough, yeah. um, and it is an issue. Um, and there's no easy answers to it. Yeah. Um, but you know the Olympics over the last two or three Olympics is you know tennis has played a much made you know much sort of increased profile role. Yeah. I think going back maybe three Olympics ago, tennis wasn't that big. Uh, it's now huge, um, so it has to be respected. Um, but equally, I'm, my role is to you know protect the tour as well. So. Um, 
it's going to be a balancing act. I, I should know this, but do you have a concurrent event scheduled for 2016 that year? Yeah, we do. So it, uh, running alongside... Yeah, because I know in the past it was Washington. Yeah, so Bogota is, Bogota. is there. Yeah. Okay, so that's not it. Because yeah. it was a 500 in the past, yeah, which seemed like right. that was a big overlap. Yeah. Um, also in terms of surfaces and stuff, one of the th- things I was talking to players about this week is grass playing slower than it used to or mm-hmm. hard courts getting slower than it used to and players sort of, or one player in particular I was talking to was complaining that serve and volley is no longer effective because mm-hmm. the services have gotten too slow. Um, in this sort of transition, we've seen the same players doing better at the French mm-hmm. and Wimbledon than ever before. Mm-hmm. You think that's a good thing or you think that surface variety is something that the tour needs to keep some integrity with, I guess. Uh, Not integrity yeah. in terms of good or bad. Yeah, no, sur- surface variety um, is key yeah. for me. Um, but I, I would debate um, uh, the slowness of the courts. It, it's, a, it's a funny one, actually, because um, a, a lot of it can actually just be the balls yeah. rather than the, the courts. Um, I think just the mo- there is so much more variety. You see how players play on clay, sliding, and much longer rallies than grass. Yeah. There is a huge difference, um, and you know you can see certain players still to this day doing better on cer- certain surfaces. Yeah. Um, and I think we've got to, you know, we've just got to keep an eye on that. That that remains because that is important. Um, in terms of uh, drug testing stuff, there was a recent uh, documentary research report into. Athletics testing and track programs, Nike out in Oregon, things like that. Um, just in terms of ATP going a few years into this biological passport now, mm-hmm. I guess, which is, I guess, also more purveyor of the ITF, and mm-hmm. you guys are more of a uh, signatory than mm-hmm. administrator of that. Mm-hmm. How are you guys feeling about the state of anti doping in men's tennis now? And just do things that happen like that in track and field or in cycling or whatever, baseball, whatever else yeah. might come, ever affect how? Tennis looks at itself. Uh, it's I guess the, you did have the Odesnik one, case this year too. Yeah, so was I, a, I think a with, you know with tennis, it's the uh, you know we we often get accused in the sport of being fragmented with you know the slams and the ATP yeah. and the WTA and the ITF, and this is the you know this is one area where everybody has truly come together um, and is playing a major role in that. It's in it's almost self-explanatory for me. Sport, you know, is about caring who wins over someone else but it also has to be real and as soon as it isn't the sport's over and so it's a major major priority um, I personally don't think you know it's rife in the sport at all but that doesn't mean we can be complacent and we have to yeah. be forever vigilant on this and the biological passports has, has played a major role in that everybody is on the case the players are tested so many times I mean yeah. You know, lots of players come to me and say it's actually over the top. It's too much. Um, You know, I'm sure there is a point where it's too much, but at the moment, I think we've we've got it spot on. And you feel like you're doing all you can. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's 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 you know, and this isn't me selling the sport. It's essential that you know we are we are on this, and um, uh, yeah, I think I think we are. What you have the website now under your belt? What do you think comes next? What's your next big? What's the next mountain? So you guys there's, are um, to conquer? there's a couple of things I want. You know, I'm looking at the challenge at all, the structure yeah. of that. Um, you know, looking to see whether we can get uh, you know sort of sponsorship involved in the challenge at all to help yeah. struggling players. Um, you know, um, that's a big focus. I want to um, look at launching um, possibly a. Uh, a new event okay. um, next year, which is sort of uh, you know an under twenty one event. Okay. Um, so looking at would that, that be more of an exhibition or like a, sh- a sanctioned <coughs> tournament? It, it, it won't be a uh, it won't be a points, event, okay. but it would just be a um, you know this is a to sort of create that like the way the WTA has with the Rising Stars. Yeah. I think they did so, in Singapore yeah. last year. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It's, it's it's bringing to life the profile okay. of these this yeah. younger generation, and we've got such a great group coming yeah. through. Um, and also give us a chance to um, sort of, you know, maybe experiment with new ideas of just presentation of the sport, whatever, to, to, to do it on that. So that's a key. Um, and then going forward, you know, my big mantra to everybody is it, it's, it's this content-driven uh, stuff. So it's about, um, it's about providing content that has behind-the-scenes footage that people want to see um, of, I mean, I always tell the story but I, uh, 
that I feel quite passionate about sure. it. So when I grew up as a kid, I used to watch you know middleweight boxing and Martin yeah. Hagler, Tommy Hearns, and all these guys with Berto Duran. And I can remember actually very few of the fights, but what I can remember um, is their training. Yeah. And so I used to see footage of the guys doing this and the skipping and the whole thing. I was like, wow, these guys yeah. are beasts. You know, they're you know sort of gladi- gladiatorial athletes. Yeah. And I think one of the um, things that I'd like to bring to life is that quite a few people outside the sport don't realise what incredible athletes our guys are. I mean, they're, you know, Olympic, top Olympic. I mean, they're just incredible. Um, and I think light sports fans don't see that. Yeah. So we need to bring bring that part to life. And the other part is human interest. Um, and, you know, team sports, you buy into Same. tribal thing. Yeah. Because you, um, you guys have yeah. to worry about it, it's individuals. Because, yeah. you know, like, for example, when Roger Federer retires, obviously this tournament will be impacted by that hugely in Hollis. Yeah. They've named the street after him, and he's essentially determined it's not who was before him, but it was built yeah. around him. But you guys have to prepare for a world without him. And yeah. everybody who has an RF hat or just yeah. watches for Roger, which is a huge contingent, yeah. making sure they still care yeah. about tennis after yeah. that. Totally. And we've got these characters that are from sort of geographically diverse places yeah. coming through, you know, sort of Rayanich Dimitrov, Nishikuris, but the rung below here, you've got the Zverevs, Chorich, you know, Kyrgios, Kokonakis, Dominic yeah. Team. These, this, this group are coming underneath. Yeah. Um, so they're from interesting places, different places, um, but we want to tell their story, um, and it's we are in the storytelling business. So. And you don't get to choose who wins, too. Um, it's another problem you yeah. guys have, quote unquote. Yeah. No, no, totally. And, and that's what, you know, sport is unscripted drama. That's what yeah. it is. Um, so the, the more of that we can have, the better. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for ben, this. has been awesome. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> That gets edited out, right? No, I'm going to keep that, Nick. No. So as Nick, is, Nick McCarville is still here as we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys very much for listening once again. If you want to follow along the show and you're not listening, you can do so by uh, following us on Twitter, at NCR underscore tennis. You can also like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. If you want to send a question for an upcoming show, we'll be taking questions probably not before Wimbledon, but maybe during. We'll see what our show schedule is coming up. Definitely after Wimbledon, we'll have some, some time to catch up on our mailbag. So you can send them to nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. You can get new episodes delivered to you automatically by subscribing on your RSS reader, podcasting app of choice, including iTunes. And if you want to leave us reviews on the iTunes store, that'd be great. We enjoy those. Good ones, we enjoy more, obviously, so do that. And we're going to leave you with a rant that Courtney Nguyen has sent. Courtney is not totally gone from the show. It's been a very male lineup, and I feel like NCR is all about the ladies, usually. So... Here is Courtney reporting from the Lady Haven that is now the Canada hosting Women's World Cup. And here are her thoughts on I don't even know what yet. So take it away, Courtney. Hey, Ben. It's Courtney. I'm uh, mailing this into you, this rant and rave into you from Vancouver um, up in Canada after what has been an incredibly <laughs> lengthy and at times infuriating to, because of the boredom Uh nearly 4,000 mile road trip uh, from San Francisco over to Winnipeg, Canada for the first Women's World Cup game, the U.S. game anyway, in Winnipeg, or the second game, sorry, and then back here in Vancouver. Today is game day. The U.S. women play Nigeria later on this afternoon. I'm pretty pumped. Been walking around Vancouver and seeing a lot of U.S. soccer fans in town and, and stuff like that. So, you know, as one who just loves women's soccer and obviously the women's national team, it's just very, very, very cool to see. Um, but uh, that, I guess, leads into a little bit of my rant, I suppose. Um, I'm not going to rant about my trip. I'll give people a more proper uh, discussion of all that. It's been really fun. It's just been uh, really boring at times because Canada and America are very large countries and there are large swaths of land uh, that have zippity doo So you definitely get a sense of that when you're driving it. But um, all this time on the road behind the wheel um, has given me a lot of time to think, especially because, you know, this is a lot to um, go through in order to watch two women's soccer games effectively and you know kind of thinking about man like why go through all this trouble like why didn't I just fly into Winnipeg um you know why didn't I just fly into Vancouver 
what's the whole point of this, etc. And so in the course of thinking about all of that, I've been thinking a lot about women's sports. And obviously, you know, that's a major component in being a tennis writer uh, with the WTA. And then also, obviously, I'm a big soccer fan and a big uh, women's soccer fan. So with respect to both sports, one of the things that I've kind of been trying to reconcile with, and this is kind of the rant, I guess it's a rant against myself, because I just don't know what exactly I want when it comes to women's sports. On one hand, you have this great opportunity, right? You have the WTA, best and and biggest uh, women's professional sports league in the world, you know, creates these champions and these stars that are bigger than the sport, that are global icons like Maria Sharapova, Serena Williams, Venus Williams. Um, And that's really great. And in some way, you want to celebrate that specialness, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not a men's sport. It is a women's sport. And because of, you know, the fact that it is women playing sport, and that's something that internationally is not exactly supported all the time, it's looked down upon, all you need to do is just read some of the things that are written about female athletes in um, their home countries. You know, every single female athlete is ugly, a lesbian, butch, like all these sorts of things, Um, masculine. I mean, it's terrible. So on some level, you do want to celebrate when a league is able to transcend, you know, those really base problems and, um, be this force for good. And, um, and so because of that, you're kind of inclined to maybe handle it with a little bit more kid gloves to be maybe a little bit more, um, forgiving, I suppose, of different missteps because you are judging it on a different scale than you would like a a a men's sport. So there's there's that aspect of it. And I think that if you go back and you listen to my rant about the women's the US women's soccer team a few episodes ago, you'll kind of get this is now the flip side of it, which is okay, we have these let's take tennis and soccer. You have these two groups of women, incredible athletes, elite athletes, icons also in their own ways, but at what point do we want actually women's sport to completely transcend the fact that it's women's sport? And just be sport. And with that comes then all the kind of seedy problems of things, right? Like, let's not pretend that every single female, you know, women's tennis player, female tennis player is like this, uh, I don't know, role model that always acts classy, that is like the person that you want on your kid's wall, um, that you want your kids to to look up to and want to be, right? Like women are very complex. We're not all, it's not like all Madonna whore, right? Like it's not, we're not either good girls or bad girls. We are complex, complicated human beings. And you see that a lot with the women's soccer team right now with Hope Solo um, and all of the domestic abuse uh, charges um, against her and how on one level it's being swept under the rug. At the the same time, it's being discussed very openly. It just kind of depends on what circle you're talking about. You know, you do stop and think if this were – you know, the NFL, would it be handled differently? Should it be handled differently? Like there's just all these different questions. But you can't deny the fact that like Hope Solo – incredible athlete, so good at what she does on the field, right? Like just competitive and intense and all of that. And uh, yeah, so it's complicated. And so there was this one, I was listening to a men in blazers podcast where they actually were comparing like a hope solo to a Serena Williams and saying, if the U S women's national team goes on to win the world cup this year and hope solo finally gets her world cup, does she kind of actually transcend um, in some ways, not in a Serena way, because Hope Solo doesn't have the marketing power that a Serena Williams has, nor a global footprint the way Serena has. But does Hope Solo become like the most kind of reviled, it seems like too strong a word, but let's just use it, most reviled female professional athlete that's like successful, like, you know, like in the history of women's sport? I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot. And then the second question is, is that a good thing? And I go both ways on it. Like, is it a good thing if, like, the women are, like, kind of, you know, complicated and treated and written about in the same way as the guys? Um, or is that, like, not a good thing? Is that unfair? Oh, and I should probably add but that when I say reviled as an athlete, referring to Hope Solo, referring to Serena Williams, I don't mean it as reviled, like, they're hateable. But in terms of players who maybe haven't done, you haven't comported themselves uh, in the, the total all-American kind of image of 
past, if you think about it, uh, you know, f- women who were put on Wheaties boxes and, you know, have Gatorade contracts and all these sorts of things. Like, you know, Mary Lou Retton, we have this issue in America of wanting all of our female athletes to be these all-American girl-next-door type uh, people. And there are a whole host of athletes, female athletes, that don't fit that mold. And... Yeah, that's all I'm trying to say there. That and they they still can make money and they still should be marketable just in the same way as the guys. I don't know. Now I'm continuing to talk some more, but I just wanted to clarify that 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 revile comment because I know that people are going to freak out about thinking what I said thinking I said something I didn't say. But yeah, we're talking about reviled within the context of the all-American cookie cutter that most women who have been successfully marketed in the States as athletes uh, have generally tended to fit. Anyways, I go back and forth. It's been like a total like sit, drink beer, think quietly to myself and try and reconcile all these feelings. And I kind of hate myself sometimes for thinking that the women's sports should be put on, handled in a different way. And I'm trying to like kind of mentally get myself out of that because that doesn't ring true to me. But maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Anyways, that's my rant. Those are the things that I've been thinking about extensively over the past, whatever. It's been a week, I guess, since I've been on the road. Um, But looking forward to getting back to tennis, looking forward to getting back to Europe, to London, to Wimbledon, to hang out with my good friend Ben again, and all of my good friends on tour. But hopefully everybody enjoyed this week's podcast. And I'm sorry if this rant made absolutely no sense, because it's not really a rant, nor is it a rave. It's just Courtney talking into her phone. Later. Bye, guys. Hello. Bye, Nick. Ain't no holla back, girl. Ain't no holla back, girl.